Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Dailies of the Week. I am Jaslyn and I am sad to say that I am your only host for this episode. Sadly, Ethan and Rail couldn't join us, but I have good news. I have two special guests that would be with me today. So yeah, please welcome Jasmine Kimberly Law and Patrick Law. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin was found guilty of second-degree unintentional murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter for the murder of George Floyd from May last year. Hundreds of people cheered outside the court as they announced the verdict. Millions of people online also watched his trial on livestream as this is the first time a judge allowed authorized cameras to show a full criminal trial in Minnesota. Everyone is celebrating because finally there is accountability, but many activists think that this is just the beginning as they demand more than accountability. They demand change, a reformation of the police system, the same system that upholds impunity. And now on to our next news. Starting last Sunday, April 18, citizens of Israel are no longer required to wear masks outdoors and school will resume regular teaching. Health Minister Yuli Edelstein said Israel's vaccination drive had dramatically lowered the morbidity rate. More than 83% of all residents of Israel who are eligible to be vaccinated against COVID-19, or 4.3 out of 6.4 million, have already received at least one dose of vaccine, and 77% have received both doses. Edelstein also added that the infection rate in Israel is very low due to their successful vaccination campaign. While walking without a mask outside is allowed, the old rules still apply indoors at venues such as stores, malls, and churches. However, overall compliances with the mask mandate has been on the decline for some time before Sunday's rule change with local media reporting late last month that the Israel police have instructed officers to refrain from active enforcement. At the same time, the school system is resuming regular classes. Pupils in the first to fourth grades, whose in-person school days were reduced to four times per week, will return to the classroom five days a week. The rest of the students who studied on alternate days and had to sit on boots will no longer require to do so. Daily new coronavirus infections in Israel have fallen from a peak of 10,000 in January to around 100 on some recent days. As part of the transition, Israel has introduced a green pass system, allowing people who are vaccinated or recovered to dine indoor in restaurants, stay in hotels, and attend large cultural, 
sports, and religious gatherings. Despite easing restrictions in the country, the number of foreigners entering the country is still limited, and non-immune Israelis who return from abroad are directed to self-isolate due to concern virus variants could challenge the vaccine. The tourism minister said that the limited tourists will be allowed to visit Israel from May 23. The individual visitors will be allowed at later stage. The visitors have to undergo a coronavirus test before boarding the flight to Israel. The tourists must present a serological test to prove that they have been inoculated with the COVID vaccine. Over the past week, small food stalls with the slogan, Magbigay ayon sa kakayahan, kumuha batay sa pangangailangan, has started appearing in different places around the country. This project, known as the Community Pantry, started in Maginhawa Street in Quezon City and allows people to donate and get food for free. Anna Patricia Non, the organizer of the Community Pantry in the said place, said that it was she who set the pantry up, but the whole project is actually a community effort. She added that in the Community Pantry, Everybody's free to come and go. Whatever you have at home, you could always leave it there. Whatever you lack, you could also take it there. Everybody is free to help and there will be no judgment on how big or small someone's going to take. After the community pantry trended online, similar projects have been placed in other places of the country. Some variations include community libraries and pantries for pets, among others. In 2020, a cash aid between 5,000 to 8,000 pesos was provided to each family during the lockdown. This year, however, the administration explained that only 1,000 pesos per individual and the maximum of 4,000 pesos per family will be provided. After the immediate popularity of community pantries, Different groups have spoken to the profiling and red tagging of the community pantry organizers by the Quezon City Police District and the National Task Force to End Local Communist Armed Conflict or NTFELCAC in social media. In a statement, Lieutenant General Antonio Parlade said that the movement was deceiving people the way Satan would. He said, Isang tao lang si Ana. Si Patricia, diba? Same with Satan. Si Satan, binigyan ng apple si Eve. Doon lang nagsimula yun. Doon lang nagsimula yun. Parlade said during an interview. Parlade further explained that he was not referring to none in particular, but rather to the entire organization that he suspected was behind the rise in pantries. I'm not referring to her. I'm referring to the big organization that may be at the back of all these. That's what we were saying. That's what I was saying, Parlade explained. I told you I have nothing against her, but yan yung gusto naming malaman. Yan ang bakit. Bakit suddenly ang bilis itong dumami? Bakit iisa yung theme nila? We really don't know. I really don't know. I'm not part of the intel, but I'm just a spokesperson, Parlade said. 
Following the red tagging controversies, several lawmakers, including eight senators, issued a call to defund NTF, ELCAC, and said that the 19 billion peso budget of the agency should be reallocated to, govern to pandemic relief funds instead. PNP spokesperson Brigadier General Ronaldo Olay said that PNP Chief Police General Debold Sinas had already ordered the Criminal Investigation and Detection Group, Group or CIDG, and the police regional offices to probe direct tagging in their respective units. Aside from private individuals starting their own versions of Community Pantry, some companies have also started joining the movement. Employees of shipping company JNT Express opened a stall in its Montinlupa branch at 37 National Highway, Barangay Putatan, while loaves of bread from Gardenia were also donated to a community pantry in Los Banos, Laguna. Shell has set up food banks which include some grocery items and fresh vegetables. Canva Philippines, on the other hand, offered free printing services and designs to community pantries in need of signages, while a community pantry in Sukat, Muntinlupa, received low cards and goods from telecommunications glo company Globe. The Bayanihan spirit goes even beyond the Philippines, as residents of Timor-Leste set up the country's first-ever community pantry. And now, on to the next segment. We are going to be discussing our opinions and commentary um, on the news that we talked about today. So, what do you guys think about the news about, you know, Derek Chauvin? Uh, and, uh, you know, there's finally accountability. What do you think? Let's start with Patrick. Hi, okay. Um, I guess, like, I'm happy for what has already transpired with regards to um, the actions that were taken for Black Lives Movement. I think that um, the movement occurred and that the government saw um, the pressure for there to be um, a more equal society in the, in the United States. But I think, like, I have two issues that I want to present. Uh, first is the issue of, like, have mo how movements are able to impact um, governments, how, um, how, how these protests are able to impact uh, laws, reforms, etc. And second is like um, the contrapoint and what are the um, strongest points with regards to um, the white supremacy and the funding of the police work. To take that first, um, the issue is the issue of like reforms being able to um, impact social change. I think that um, what it does is really start a discord. It helps people understand. But then um, within within like um, within those issues, we see that there's also um, a clash between like slacktivism and thorough understanding of a movement movements. Right. So I think that that's very important. Like um, I understand that at least today. Um, the Gen Zs are more woke to some extent, but I feel like we should not stop with a just woke. But I think we should um, try to understand that being woke means being included in the discourse, knowing about the discord, the discourse, but not just one side, but also like 
two sides of it. Why? Because I think that um, when you get to know two sides of the story, you're able to argue on proper ground. You're able to, you're able to um, prove to people, to naysayers, that okay, it's not just a principle thing. Like we're not just all principle. We could we also show you pragmatic benefits of these actions, right? So yeah, um, I think that th- there should be there should be that nuance in the wokeness of Gen Z. Not just ah okay, I want to champion this principle. I want to champion that principle. Principles are not bad, but principles are also not sufficient. Okay, like I think that that's the understanding that I want to um inculcate in people. I mean, as a debater, we we're told that a lot. Now, okay, you can't just argue principle. You have to argue pragmatics. You have to argue net benefits, marginal benefits, etc. Uh, second issue, like the, the strongest argument coming from the other side that white supremacy, this and that. Um, I think that that stems from the idea of um, some some um, some white Americans being left behind in the opening up of globalization, like the steel city. Uh, um, America is known to be a huge steel manufacturing, manufacturing, and like um, when when America transitioned to be a bastion of democracy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, like some Americans kind of felt like, okay, um. Are they still wanting to champion our rights, or are they championing these progressive thoughts over our rights? Globalization over my livelihood, fishes and the river over my livelihood, over what I could eat. How is that principally justified? How, like that's that's argument that they put out there. And second, like the strongest argument that they have is that okay, you want us to not fund the police. So how do you um how do you account for other people who go to the police to call for like the police are the main responders for nine one one because they're just that poor there are no doctors there are no hospitals there's no ambulance but the police car becomes the ambulance now how the hell do you want us to balance that right so yeah I think that um if we are able to nuance the arguments and like make them clash and um. Resolve that even if we have those worst cases in the United States, that we should still champion for equality. We should still um, champion for um, reform. What does reform look like in the first place, right? Is it just defunding the police? Is it just um, prioritizing the black? The reform is not just supposed to be a black and white thing. It has to be one that is encompassing every stakeholder in society, right? So I think that that's a more nuanced conversation. It doesn't have to be very dichotomous. Now, oh, um, if I'm pro-Black Lives Matter, I'm anti-white. No, we're just trying to say that, hey, we want the black we want the, um these black lives to be treated with more regard as to as to life, as to dignity, as to liberty. Right? We want them to um get to enjoy the rights other people necessarily enjoy. Right? So yeah, I agree. Um, that arguments need to be more nuanced. But I think for the defund the police thing, it's more than just defunding. Uh, I, I saw that what they mean by that is that they want to allocate the budget of the police to different, different, you know, uh, different places because uh, apparently the police is over, overly funded and maybe the first responders shouldn't always be the police as well. What if they fund yes. paramedics or other other places, basically? That's what they exactly. mean, I think. 
no nuances like that. But then when we go back to the priority of the state, is it the priority of the state also to secure its citizens? So when we defund the police, do we necessarily equate it to wanting to champion less the security of its people? There are issues like that, right? So yeah, I think I, I won't I don't want to resolve the issues that I've mentioned today, but rather I want um the listeners to think about it. Like it's a handful of issues, right? But I think that when we are able to understand like how society works as a whole, not just um in bits and chunks of headlines, then the, the understanding gets better. Which leads me to uh, like another idea, right? Like I've mentioned that bits and chunks of pieces, right? Um what I've noticed with the Black Lives Movement is that, um, yes, there were this, there, there was discourse. It was on the news. However, there were people who resorted to slacktivism. Okay, like, um, somewhat the Black Lives Movement in the Philippines became a social status thing. That okay, I want to be hype. I want to be this. I want to be relevant. So I'm gonna join the chain. I'm gonna go black on on Instagram. But realize that that resulted in a net harm to the movement. Because, you know, suddenly one day, like, the feed of everyone was just an instant blackout. Like, no one even knew what the back thing was. There was no discourse. And when asked, like, hey, why, is your, why are you posting some black blocks on Instagram? Um, um, black Lives Movement. Why? George Floyd. Why? Uh, racist, racist mga Americans. Eh. Why? I don't know. They've been racist ever since history. Why? Read your book. Why didn't you read your book first, right? Like, I think that the understanding has to be better and more nuanced in that sense. Like, that, that's my main challenge. I think that um, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with movements. I think that movements are important. But I think that it is also important not to water down the messages of these movements. It is very important for us to understand the, um, the details and the suffering of these people, not just through the lens of Instagram, not just through, through the lens of chains, but through the lens of narratives. Yeah, when they when they posted black squares on Instagram, Facebook, and then they put it like hashtag Black Lives Matter on it, it, it didn't help at all. It even drowned out important information that other people posted online because if you search for the hashtag, you know, that time when they did it, um, uh, instead of amplifying black voices, they drowned them out. So now, uh, I mean, so if you, not now, I mean, before when that happened, when it was a, you know, quote unquote trend to, you know, post black squares and solidarity for the movement, like it just drowned out information. All you can see in the hashtag is black squares. Exactly. Like, you know, um, okay, uh, CNN could, news, could, could put on news on Instagram, right? They could, they could put on the headlines and stuff. But then that news, even with the hashtag Black Lives Matter, gets drowned down. So what's the, what's the net benefit? I see 100 black squares, and like, I have to scroll all the way after that 100 squares before I can see the real news, the real scoop, right? Now, your vanity over CNN's news. What's more important? Of course, the news. Like I, I don't, I, I don't um discriminate against people who do this. Like if they, if they really want to support the movement, I'm for that. But what I'm against is joining the movement for vanity. 
And also, it's equally harmful when you join the movement without knowing anything about it. Because it waters down the movement. I guess that's what people call... That's what people call, like, performative activism, I guess. Yes, exactly. Yep, yeah. yep, yeah. yeah. That's performative stuff. Um, activism, yeah. Somewhat slacktivism, then. Yeah. Uh, what's sad is that, you know, the Black Lives Movement, you know, just did start just last year. It started back in 2013. And, and, exactly. you know, like... Here's the thing. Oh, yeah. People are yeah, only like, starting to wake up. And I remember seeing this TikTok of a guy. He's he was like, "No, this isn't an alarm. This isn't a wake up call. Like an alarm has been starting a long time ago, and y'all just keep hitting this news button or something like that. Like you guys keep ignoring it until suddenly a dude has to die just for people to be alarmed. But in reality, all this started a long time ago. So yeah." Yeah, like that's the sad thing about um the, the things that are happening around the world. Like, okay, I'm um, speaking of like people of color, the Black Lives Matter. Like, I think um feminism essentially started with like people of color as well, but then they've ma- they've been made to believe, no, okay, uh, you you won't benefit from the first wave, so you're gonna benefit anyways later. Uh, second wave, you're not gonna benefit from it. You're gonna benefit from it later. Until like such a time when postmodernist thoughts came in. Oh, oh, you know what? It's it's enough. It's enough. Like we don't just talk about like feminism without talking about women of color anymore. We talk about feminism and we talk about women of color. And we talk about intersectionality. What's inter what's intersectionality in the first place, right? Uh, intersectionality is the idea that okay, uh women are oppressed, but there are different factions about a woman. That makes them more likely to be oppressed. Take, for instance, their color, their age, their weight, their social status, etc. Those add up to different types of oppressions, right? Like a white woman could be oppressed because, like, from the first wave of feminism, they didn't have political rights. But then, like, realize that black women before that did not only not have um, political rights, but they also were subjected, they were more like to be subjected to slavery, right? So there are those intersections. And I think that that's what we have to understand at this day and age, that we have to, um, we have to draw away from the conception that, oh, all right, um, white people are supreme, this one is this, that one is that. We have to challenge the notions that have been given to us by society. Like, we have to start challenging those things. Okay, why is being white necessarily um, superior, right? Like before, um, I read this in my history reading, like they had this theory that, oh, um, Europeans have um, bigger brains, therefore they're superior beings, they're smarter, unlike Asians. Asians don't just do practical things. They do carving, like Filipinos in specific. Uh, they gave this notion that, okay, Filipinos just know um, carving, just know painting, just know fishery, but they don't know how to digest abstract um, ideas. But then um, sooner or later, like people, pe- like people started contradicting that, or, that argument, saying that, hey, are you trying to say that there was no crossbreeding that happened in between in history? That these Filipinos didn't necessarily crossbreed with Spaniards, with Arabians, with the Chinese? So if you, if you tell me that they're still um, inferior, then you've 
already contradicted yourself because you told me that um Europeans are smart because of their natural being. But then the fact that they have already crossbred across the world to the Philippines and, you know, somewhat the Filipinos are not supposed to be dumb anymore. So it's not a matter of nature, but it's a matter of, it's a matter of nurture, right? Yeah. Oh, my point being, I've, I've blabbered too much, but my point being, um, we live in a postmodernist time already. So I think that it is time for us, like as people in schools, as people in like learning in classrooms, to learn how to challenge different conceptions. Like I think that that's where discourse starts. When we start seeing that, okay, um, why does this idea make people necessarily poor? Why does this idea make people necessarily suffer or unnecessarily suffer, right? So I think that we, when, when we start challenging these notions, then that's when discourse starts because we start wondering. Um, what, are your, what, are, what are your thoughts on this um, news, Jasmine? About that, so I really, uh, I think that it's really good how the the court already decided on these charges. Um, what can I add? Uh, so, um, I actually agree with Patrick's first point on the um, on the power of social movements because um, yeah, it's really. To be honest, this whole Black Lives Matter is it's really weird how it blew up that big when it was already raised before. And um, I think um, not much attention was given to it before. That's why they're only acting upon it now. Um, but however, the, the global movement also made everyone like, see the different cases of um, of different different cases on police brutality and it also shed light to the issues that we have here in our own country. Um, there is like a lot and from news reports as time that I saw uh, there's even more deaths here in the Philippines than the uh, in the United States. So that's what I can say. Yeah, apparently um, uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, they actually commented uh, um, about uh, the George Floyd, the whole George Floyd situation and how they're going, uh, they're planning to do a little reforms, you know, change some laws and stuff like that. So yeah, good point. Yeah, uh, social movements do start a lot of things. Yeah, and you know, make real changes. It's more than just a movement. So Jasmine, what do you think about Israel not requiring to wear a mask and resuming regular classes? I think that's really good that, um, so uh, I think the, uh, the reason why they were able to do this was because uh, most of their residents, I, I think um, 77% was able to be vaccinated already. Um, so it's really good that they're almost back to normal. 
but it's kind of risky also um, knowing that they had their highest peak last January. And then, yeah, even though that uh, cases um, decreased drastically already these days, it's like 100 cases now per day. But there is also uh, with the not requiring of wearing mask can also like cause can cause a possible outbreak again because um, yeah we're not entirely sure if the vaccines are 100% effective so yeah there's that and um, with this I it may also since uh, after it, the news being released I think it can also encourage other Filipinos to um, to take the vaccine and also other countries. So yeah, that's what I think. I think it's really cool that they're transitioning back to normal. Uh, I'm looking at I'm looking at their um charts right now, and apparently and apparently um yeah their case their the number of cases uh reported you know per day. Uh, has drastically decreased, which is a really good thing. Um, and but you know, there's still uncertainties. Like um, we still don't know about these new variants. Will it, you know, like actually work with the vaccine? Because um, the you know scientists have said that you know it you know it will work against you know, the, the, the current variants now, but what if there are stronger variants that will come in the future, you know? We don't know, it's still uncertain, but it's good that Israel um, took the initiative, took the risk and tried reopening because I think it is going to be really important for us to see uh, what it would be like to, you know, have the vaccine go back to normal because you know not a lot of countries would be able to do that like for example the united states there's just way too many anti-vaxxers way too many people that won't get vaccinated so they can't do that but you know uh thankfully uh a lot of people like said uh in israel are vaccinated um yeah i think 59%, 59.3% of the population, um, according to this data right here, 59.3% of the population has at least have one dose of the COVID vaccine. So yeah, that's great. What do you think of this, Patrick? Mm. What can I say about that? I think that I think that's generally generally good. Like, I have no no matter on it, naman. Like, I'm happy for them. But I think that's in reflection around the Philippines. I think that the government should start investing in sciences, talaga. I think that throughout history, like during these times, it's only sciences that could help the society. I mean, if you're familiar with Japan and why they developed lactobacilli in 1935. It was because like um their like kids were getting so sickly and um there was this Japanese scientist who invented the lactobacilli and decided that oh um 
it's not gonna work in vaccines. It's hard to put it in vaccines. So let's just put it in like milk and drinks. And like it has to be chilled drinks. So yeah, in general, people became a bit healthier. I think that the Philippines should do um something in the same. Like if ever it can't afford like the Pfizer BioNTech thing, I think that we have really good human capital in the areas of sciences and technology that could help us um innovate vaccines. And that should be the first priority compared to like just red tagging people who are leading initiatives. Like take for example how UP has been leading efforts against COVID-19 and UP, the same institution that's leading efforts, is also the same institution that's being red tagged and being stripped of the UPDND accord, right? So yeah, that's a bad thing. Like, you know, uh, know your priorities. That's true. A lot of countries that listen to scientists, you know, look at them. They're living the life. Meanwhile, I haven't been out in like months. <laughs> yeah, and it's quite sad here. Oh yeah, I was gonna say that we need this, like the you know we need to stop pretending like we know stuff, and start listening to people that do know stuff. You know, experts like scientists, doctors, the medical community, um, you know, um, a lot of people are becoming anti-vaxxers and such, which is really bad, like really, really bad. Uh, I hope that more and more people would start listening, um, yeah. My my mom got the COVID vaccine actually. Um, if you guys didn't know, uh, I think she got Sinovac, and look at her; she's perfectly fine. Uh, all because she learned. Uh, she listened to doctors. She was like, "Hey, you know, the medical community thinks that um these vaccines are safe to take, um, and that it is scarier to get COVID again and get the lasting effects." COVID because COVID isn't COVID isn't an instant death okay COVID is also a a pain you know it's a long uh it's a long and painful death a lot of people like I I heard like I I watch videos of doctors who have personally treated COVID patients saying that uh they see that they're um, patients are struggling and that some people who are perfect there are also articles of some people having perfect bodies okay very healthy very active always exercising very adventurous and then suddenly they got covid and now they can't even you know uh, walk up the stairs without being super exhausted it's really it's really hard to get COVID. So as much as possible, it would be great uh, for people to take the COVID vaccine. So, you know, any of you guys uh, listening to Candleton Radio right now, if you can take the vaccine, uh, I, I just hope that you will um, take the vaccine. Yeah, and you know, let's help each other, help the community, help, you know, achieve 
herd immunity, which is like the most important thing because without herd immunity, I don't think we can beat COVID-19. So um, any final words before moving to the next topic, Jasmine or Patrick? Okay, I agree with Jasmine. Like, stop the, the, the xenophobia na, oh, because it's Chinese, it's not effective, ganun, ganun. Like, guys, I think um, you could check the Sinovac side effects with other vaccine side effects, like flu vaccines, and you could check their efficacy as well. Like, okay, I, I may get this wrong. Please fact check me. Comment down below. The joke lang. Uh, like, check like how flu vaccines are only 60% effective. So, like, 59% efficacy versus Sinovac, that's not, that's not, that's not so bad. Right? Like any level of protection is still protection. So some level of protection versus 0% protection, I go with X level of protection. Yeah. <laughs> um, my mom got vaccinated, like, and she, you know, she got firsthand experience and, you know, so far, I've seen that she doesn't have any side effects. Nothing bad has happened to her. She still continues on with her daily exercise, which, by the way, I tried it with her, and <laughs> it was so bad. I can't, I can't do what she does. She's, she's like a mad woman, really strong, by the way. I can't do that. I get so exhausted. It's like I'm the one that got COVID or something. <laughs> but yeah, anyways. Um, what about you, Jasmine? Do you have anything else to say? Well, I don't know. I think everyone, everything has been said. Okay, if that's the case, on to the next news. Um, so, uh, for this news, this is, you know, local news in the Philippines. You know, this is about the community pantry and, you know, they get reg they get red tagged and stuff like that um so jasmine would you like to go first what do you think about this situation sure. um when i think about it um, when people started setting up community pantries it just shows how much of, um how much the government lacked and the and the government is trying to hide it by like red tagging people and saying that they're from these communist groups and they just um we just set up set these up to um to cause um to cause a um, yeah to to um to encourage people to do bad stuff something like that yeah so but uh, on the other hand, I think it's really good. This it's really um, nice to see how Filipinos are willing to help each other out, especially during this pandemic. Yeah. Um. So my opinion on this, um, you know, for the first part. I, uh, my heart felt so warm, like it was so nice to see that, you know, uh, there were people who are willing to help. And it's just not, you know, like, oh, I want to help you. It's also, I'm risking my life to help you. Because what if she got COVID, you know what I mean? 
like during the process of helping like she's out there exposing herself just to you know help help the community um get food and such like that but also i've seen like when i read the news about this you know there's you know it's on a facebook post it was in the comment section and then i see some people saying things like oh this is really bad because if you help someone they're not gonna help themselves and um they're gonna be lazy they're gonna stop working and stuff like that which i think was just so mean because i think especially during these times a helping hand you know a helping hand would certainly be appreciated you know a lot of people lost their jobs a lot of people are losing money a lot of people don't have uh don't have the capability to actually go outside and work just like any other uh senior citizens or people with pre-existing conditions people simply cannot go outside and work so the you know uh these kind of works they really do help and I guess it just shows that there's two types of people in the world, the considerate one and the really mean ones that has the audacity to say something like that in the comment section of something so lighthearted, something so wholesome. It's just so mean, you know, and second of all, I can't really comment about the red tagging thing because I'm not actually quite sure of what happened. Like, we still don't have that much information like why did they do this because like <laughs> okay i don't know so, yeah, let me inter- let me interrupt you about that like the notion of red tagging because if you look at it okay red tagging is an easy narrative to escape controversy why because the philippines has a long-standing history with communists with leftists they're necessarily seen as bad they're necessarily seen as radical then, you know, um, forget the fact that um, the leftist movement was the one that um, drove away tyranny, like Marcos, right? But then um, realize that like the whole leftist movement was left in shackles when there was no more tyranny. But then right now we see different, um, different like um, how to say this, different flavors of leftism in status quo. So the thing is that. Red tagging undermines that different years. Okay, we can all be left, but we're not all necessarily communists. We're not necessarily red, right? So that's the thing. First, it's easy to play that narrative because people don't understand that the leftist movement was already divided after um Edsa Revolution, right? But then second, um I think that it's necessarily bad to think that being a communist is evil. Like, when there's this person, the lieutenant, the spokesperson for the um, National Task Force for COVID-19, I think that's him. I'm not sure. You could fact check me. But then there's this um, military man who said that um, this girl, see um, Sarah Nunn, I think, if I got if I got the name right, um, is like Satan. Satan gave Adam and Eve an apple to deceive them. She is giving them committee panties to deceive them. Now, why is that wrong, right? Like, because you're a communist and therefore you're wrong? Isn't it constitutionally mandated for there to be um, 
a solid opposition for the state to um to to have checks and balances possible, right? So those are necessarily two things that are bad. A while ago, um, I heard like um Undersecretary Lorraine Badoy saying that okay, well, we're just categorizing them as communists. We're not necessarily saying they're evil. Now, why is this bargaining bad? This bargaining is bad because. Okay, what's the use of even red tagging them if you're trying to say that their actions are not bad? Why? Because just like because um communists can be a lot of different things, but then this time they're not bad, but then another time they could be bad. Like, what's your definition of bad? Progressive beliefs. I I mean it's clear that killing and riots are bad. But then, when when it's to these extents, wherein people are helping, why red tag them, and why portray um being communist evil? I think <laughs> that's all I can say, honestly, because you know I'm not really informed of this matter. Um, outside of you know this article, because I haven't you know done my research yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have anything else to say, Jasmine? No. Okay, um, I, I, okay, I think that's all, I think that's all for the commentary of the dailies of the week. Um, to all of the listeners, thank you guys for listening. I am sorry that Riel couldn't be here today. And I hope that you stay tuned uh, for another Friday um, for the next Dailies of the Week. Um, thank you for listening. 